Well, this has been a, an incredible week. Uh, we started Wednesday with Sean Tice, who wasn't able to be here. Um, so you, you, we saw a video from Sean, and we had some of his materials, and I spoke. I'm sorry. Uh, but Sean will be here tonight at our dinner. You'll get to meet him. Um, God is my dad, ministry to children with no dads in the home and, uh, uh, and to single moms. And it's a real difficult time uh, for those families, and some of you understand that because you've grown up that way. Um, Thursday night, Ward Hodges came, and he laid out the case for ministering in Israel. You know, the Great Commission says we're to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We so often focus on the uttermost parts of the earth, and we don't have much going on in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And uh, Ward has the unique opportunity, uh, because of doing some humanitarian work uh, in Galilee, and the northern Galilee, Golan Heights, he has been able to um, work with security teams and with the Israeli Defense Force. And they have given him the go-ahead to share why he does what he does humanitarianly because of the Messiah. And God is doing some incredible things in Israel. And then Friday night, um, Lacey uh, Toller gave a, a great uh, presentation and, um, on human trafficking, uh, the slavery movement in this world, both internationally and domestically, um, sex slavery, um, labor slavery. Uh, there's more slaves today than ever before. And this morning, her husband Daniel is going to come, and he's going to speak to us. Um, he's, I hope, will be shorter than Lacey. Lacey, Lacey tried to put a three-hour um, presentation into an hour, and she did pretty good. She only went about ten minutes longer than she than uh, what was scheduled, so that was a blessing. But listen, they're going to be here this morning, and um, I tell you what, they're going to be a blessing. And a little bit later, at the end of the service, we're going to hand out uh, faith promise cards. Gretchen's come with a new name for them. Um, Faith, promise, action, pact. Where we're going to make a pact, not with the devil, but with God, on how to give toward missions. Something a little fresher. Maybe that, maybe that will be a, will inspire you uh, to participate. We want everyone to participate so that we can make a difference in the world. And uh, so we'll see about that this morning. Um, 2013, I met Daniel and Lacey. And... Uh, they have a, a heritage very, very similar to uh, us. Their uh, Lacey's father uh, started and pastored a church and, and has pastored a church in Antioch, Tennessee, Christian school. They went to Tennessee Temple, Independent Fundamental Church. Um, and then they've done mission work in Thailand. And I'm going to let, they will tell some of their story. I don't want to take that away. Those of you who are here Friday know their story. Um, but they are doing a tremendous ministry. You know, Jesus talked about us going into the highways and hedges and to go to the least of these, and sometimes we forget those. And uh, Daniel and Lacey are re trying to reach the least of these. Daniel, why don't you come up and share with, what, share with us what God has laid on your heart. Thank you. Pastor Dale, appreciate it. Well, like uh, Pastor Dale already said, you're going to get me today and like he said earlier, I apologize. Lacey is our professional speaker for the family. She's really, really good. I'm really, really not. So 
that's your warning beforehand. Uh, like like uh, Pastor Dale said, we, we our family, uh, we have uh, six of us, uh, and then Lacey and I, so eight of us, we answered the call much like a missions conference like this. Came down to the front and said, Lord, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. But I sat for eight or ten years, year after year after year, coming down here saying, Lord, I want to go. I see some some no hair and some gray hair. I've talked with many of you. My wife and I have helped mobilize churches of your age. And many of them said, I was in the pew. I came to the altar many, many times. I said, I want to go. And they never did. We mobilized the church how to evangelize in these uh, unreached people groups or the marginalized people. And we took these old folks out, if you will, and they said, I never really knew it was this easy to share the gospel. Why is it so difficult for our church to get away from the things that hold us down when we have the power of the Creator living in us? We have the power, we have the authority, and we can change the world. So a pastor guy came and he shared a message and he looked at me one day after the message he said why are you still sitting here saying I want to go I don't know you're qualified you're capable now go and that was a releasing of our heart my wife and I that God had been stirring for so long something that was very passionate so we went to Thailand. We thought we're going to be typical missionaries. We're going to go plant churches. We're going to use the gospel. We're going to use the English. We're going to use our servantship to change these people. Two months in to our living in Chiang Mai at the time to learn a language, our oldest daughter, Leah, was almost abducted. We reported it to the police. The police came back to us three days later and said, thank you for sharing about this, what happened to your daughter. We actually found there were 19 kids, expat kids, white and black kids from Thailand who were kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. They found half of them. They know the other half were sent to Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, South Africa. I was almost our daughter. Nine years old. Blonde hair, blue eyes. So our family, many people said you should just come home. We said, why? Why? Satan tried to do something to our family to distract us from what God had called us to do. So we determined we're going to learn. We're going to study. We're going to find out 
what this thing really is. So we finished our language. We learned how to speak. Well, let me rephrase that. My wife learned how to speak Thai. I learned how to listen to Thai. If you understand learning languages, men just, we just, women have the ability to learn languages. Men, we don't. And Does any of your women speak up higher than men around here? Just wondering. We just can't do it very well. So I learned to listen and translate to Lacey, and Lacey learned how to speak, and we just, great team. Well, we moved to our place we're going to minister at, and we're thinking that we're not going to see any human trafficking. We're not going to, we're, we're just going to go be normal missionaries. Two kilometers, anybody know what kilometers means? Let me, free, let me translate that, uh, convert that. 1.2 miles away from our house that we built to be missionaries for the rest of our lives was a family-owned and operated brothel. They're poor people. They raise rice. You can only do it one time a year. It's a desert in this area near Laos. What are you going to do with the rest of your time? Apparently, you're going to sell girls and sell women and alcohol. So that's what, that's what they did. Our hearts broke. We hit it again. It's right there, right next to us. What are we going to do? The mission agency that we were with didn't want to get entangled. What was the term he used? It's a dirty life. It's difficult, and it's, it's unknown. It's dangerous, so we don't want to minister to those people. I came down here to this altar and said, I want to go. And then God took us to a place where he wanted us to go. At that point, God stirred something so deep in our heart that we knew at that point, no matter what we did, no matter the cost, no matter the danger, let me caveat this. I need to, I need to say this. When you come down as a man husband and wife, and you say, Lord, I want to go. You have children. You better leave them at the altar, too. Because you cannot control what happens to them. You can learn, you can try to protect, but you better not hinder God from moving in their heart as well. And you better not let it be an ex uh, a stronghold to keep you from going. Part of the times that Lacey and I spent saying, God, we want to go, we want to go, we want to go, we couldn't give our kids up. Lacey shared stories about dreams of snakes inside the baby's bed with baby. She, stared, she shared stories of watching our children die on the mission field. Why would we want to go do that? Here's the reality. There is sin in this world. And no matter whether you're in Thailand, whether you're in Cambodia, or you're in, where are we at? Fort Charlotte. Evil is rampant, and Satan is trying to destroy our families, our churches. 
He doesn't want God to move like He can through His people. So He does everything He can to keep us from moving. To keep us from going. We have a testimony of 10 years coming here and saying we want to go, but we never did. So treasure these moments. These conferences are important. Not just so you can raise funds to send missionaries. Not just so you can have more of a missional mindset in your church. These are the moments that God uses to call your hearts to the carpet because we have filled our lives with junk. We have filled our lives, I'm sorry folks, with retirement. We have filled our lives with games. We have filled our lives with sports. I like to golf, I'm bad at it. We filled our lives with things that are empty. And when Jesus comes back, all the things that we filled our lives with, guess what? They're going to burn. And the only thing that will remain is the commitment that we gave to God. That's it. Because heaven and earth will burn away. He's going to create a new heaven and he's going to create a new earth. The things we do wholeheartedly, and I hope I can speak about that here in a few minutes. The things that we give wholeheartedly with everything we are to God is what will remain when heaven and earth melt away. All we need is love. Who, who sang that? The Beatles. 1967. John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote those words. All we need is love. Here's just some of the uh, some of the words to the song. Love, love, love. I'm not. I'm just. Maybe I'll just read it. Nothing you can do that can be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing can make you that can't be made. Weird, right? No one can. No, no one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you. In time it's easy all you need is love all you need is love now these words were paramount in shaping our culture shaping our society during this time the 60s and 70s a lot of you there was a rebellion rising up in the country and the rebellion was against the tradition of life, right? Against the normalcy of society. We should just be able to love everybody, right? I don't care if you're gay or lesbian or whatever. Every religion is okay. Y'all remember those days? Every religion's fine. Whatever's good for you is fine for me. Speed up 15 years and we've got uh, Nirvana, who is the uh, same kind of guy. And, I mean, Nirvana, that, that's, a, that's a band, some of you don't know. That's the name of a band. 
seeking enlightenment at, at whatever cost. So drugs, sex, alcohol, that's our society. That's our culture. It all started with a desire to fill that hole, that emptiness. This is an indictment on the church. Not this church, not the today's church, but the church in general. We have allowed Satan to manipulate our society to discredit the church and to disempower the church. So, all we need is love. I think actually God would agree with that. Our Bible explains that God is love. So, in some sense, the truth is there. Yet, Satan took the truth, and what did he do? He twisted it. So he can control a people. To put them on distracted paths of rights, or freedom, or independence, or whatever the purpose was. And so now, we have the church today. We have society today. If you got to listen to Lacey share uh, on Friday, we have an estimated 20-something to 42 million, 47, some say 62 million human slaves. Human slaves. So let's just take this part of the room and go this way. Well, maybe we'll go this way. Let's just say there's 47 of us that represent 1 million people in the world. And someone, I don't have my wallet, but bought and sold a human being for labor, for sex. The average age of entry into the sex industry in the States is 12, 13. Internationally, it's 9. Some person takes a human being and turns them into a product. Whether it's to grow lettuce here in South Florida, tomatoes, is it happens. Or if it's old, and this is this is the truth, old white men from America or Europe going to Asia, to Thailand or the Philippines and buying nine to 16-year-old girls. For their personal pleasure. The girls and the women that we help restore them from this trauma, it is unimaginable unimaginable God's allowed us to open up the first safe home for minor teenage girls in the state of Tennessee we we care for girls 12 to 17 this ministry is not easy And I'm sure some of you are wondering, there are pastors, men of the church, deacons, 
who go to the streets and buy these girls. So how do we expect them to just say, oh, I'm, I'm loved by people of the church now. They care for me, they'll provide for me, they'll help me. When it was the church, in their eyes, who abused them. I want you to understand that context just a little bit. I also want you to understand the context that the man or the woman who does the abusing, because women do it as well, they are enslaved. One of the things we've learned through what we do is enslaved people enslave others. It's just like wounded people wound others or hurt people hurt people. People who are enslaved to sin and to self, they take that anger, that aggression, the, the desire for love that I talked about earlier, that, that, that thing that everybody wants, that everybody needs, The trafficker or the abuser or the buyer, he wants the same thing. And it's incumbent upon the church to make sure we bust ourselves out of these walls and we go touch those people who are hurting and wounded, the marginalized, they're dirty, they live in a mess, they don't know anything else. And one of the things that I've noticed that the church does is that we say, Let's try to get you cleaned up a little bit. Maybe you don't smell so bad. Let me get you into the church. No! No! You don't clean people up so they can come here. You come here so that you can be equipped, so that you can have fellowship one with another, so you can go out to the mess. You are the church. Everywhere you are, everywhere you go, you are the church. You don't bring people here to get them saved. You go out and you live a life that wants, let me rephrase that, you live a life so much in front of them that they do this. Why do you come to me? Why do you care about me? Is it so I can put that salvation number on my... I got one more salvation. And there's no relationship. Or is it because I actually love you that well that I'm willing to do whatever it takes so you know you're loved? And the reason why I love you is because God loved me first. God loved me first. So that's my very short introduction. I promise I'll be quicker. If you have your Bible, please open up to uh, Matthew uh, 22, <clears throat> verses 34 through 40. If you have your electronic Bible, please open it as well. Turn, turn, turn your ringer down so you don't distract anybody. Lord, we're here before you today. 
because we need you, Lord. Because we want you, Lord. Lord, we need to be renewed. Lord, we need to remember the joy of our salvation. We need to remember those days where we were on fire and nothing would stop us from being the gospel and preaching if asked. Jesus, Jesus, your scripture says that you are interceding for us. So as I pray to the Father, you are praying to the Father as well. That our ears would be opened, our eyes would see. And you would empower our hands and feet and mouth to be Jesus. To be Jesus everywhere we go. Everyone we talk with. No matter what we're doing whether we're enjoying the day with our sands in the beach, with our feet in the sand of the beach, or we're intentionally trying to talk to somebody about the gospel. We need you, Lord. We need you. Matthew 22. I really want to try to help us understand the context here. So I'm going to try to go really fast. So I need you to follow along with me. Our scriptures in Matthew 22, we're going to start in 19. We're not going to read. We're just going to start in 19. So here's, here's the background. Here's the context to where we're, where we're coming. Jesus knows that his crucifixion is coming. And we're coming really close to the time of the Passover. So Jesus is going from town to town to town. And he's preaching and teaching and perform miracles. He's also, at the same time, putting a big wedge. I actually need to read this because I wrote this and I want to make sure that I don't, I don't miss it. Jesus is driving a wedge, a very deep wedge between those who love God and those who love the system of religion, the system of wealth, the system of power. That would be the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the teachers and preachers of the day. Jesus is very intentional about driving a wedge between what we think religion is supposed to be and what he actually says is a real relationship. This is important to understand. So, he talks about marriage and divorce very harshly, very aggressive. He blesses the children. Let the children come unto me. You need to understand the Jewish culture. It's a lot of our cultures, actually. Women and children are of no value. Of no value. They don't matter in the Jewish society. Just indulge me for a few moments. Women, raise your hand, stand up, whatever. If you can, raise your hand or stand up, however you want to. Men, look around. 
the culture that we're talking about, they are nothing. They're good for cooking and cleaning and raising kids, right? Oh, I mean, is that our society or is that theirs? See how Satan does it? That's just a small little note there. He counsels the young rich ruler. And the guy gives up. He's, God's, Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. Give it all to the poor. Oh, I can't do that. What am I going to do then? I have got everything that I need or want. The scripture says he walks away sorrowful, empty. Jesus shares about with God, all things are possible. You got the parable of uh, the workers in the vineyard. They're complaining. He predicts his uh, death and resurrection. Just a real small thing there in the middle part of chapter 20. No one really picks up on it. He talks about the greatness in serving. Greatness in serving. Again, our society has the wrong concept that this is greatness. I tell you, I hate being up here. I hate this. Because it puts a false expectation on one, who I am and who I am not. You can ask my wife, you can ask others. I am best when I am hidden among people that no one goes to. My favorite time of the week, other than being with my family, is Monday and Wednesday night up in Nashville when we knock on the door and I look eye to eye with prostitutes and pimps, sex abusers. That's my favorite time of the week. That's where I really shine. You know why? Because if I look at their soul through God's eyes, like looking in a mirror because either I was that or I'm one decision away from being that I love those people those people I hate even using that term they're not those people they're a creation of God who deserves to be loved and who deserves to be told the truth about who they are and the truth about the gospel, and the truth that Jesus laid it all out for them. And he just uses me as a messenger. I'm a piece of paper with something written on it that says, Jesus loves you. Please follow me. I hope I can show you the way. Jesus heals the blind man. Two blind men, actually. They just need something. They're, they're there to find Jesus. He's like, what do you want from me? He probably didn't say it that way. It's a little sarcastic, sorry. He's probably a little more sympathetic. We just want our eyes to be opened. If you really read it here in the context, I'm not certain that they were talking about their physical eyes. I am almost convinced that they are talking about their spiritual eyes. They need to be awakened. 
And what's Jesus do? He gives them both physical and spiritual sight. Awesome. Then we have a huge, huge shift here in chapter 21. Jesus is coming into town on a donkey and a colt. You have people, people, men. Go back to the context again about how women and children have no value and that men are revered and respected. Remember that? They're, they're supposed to be the, the, the perfect parts of society. In the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that's exactly what they were thinking. They're watching the triumphal entry of Jesus. And you have men taking off their coats. It's, it's a pretty expensive coat, I think. I got it from Goodwill, but just, just pretend. Pretend it's an expensive coat. They're laying their coats on the ground. People are taking whatever they have to cut down palm tree leaves, branches. They're laying them down on the ground. What is that? That's for a king. That's an honor given to a king. And you have the common people doing this to Jesus. Some redneck guy from Nazareth who's a carpenter. He doesn't have any education. Who is this guy? Who is that? Do you understand what I'm talking about? About Jesus splitting, I mean, driving a wedge between the, the system of religion and the people that Jesus came to save. You see that? That's a Monday. He comes in on Monday. Tuesday. Jesus goes to the temple. Okay, you have to understand the context here. You have to understand the context. If he is the Messiah, this is the man who's going to redeem Israel from Rome. From captivity. From enslavement to Rome. He's going to come in and he is going to storm the castle, right? That's what the Sadducees and Pharisees were looking for. That's what they're looking for. But Jesus comes in, just, just indulge me again. Jesus comes into this building. He rips down these flags. He knocks over these chairs. He dumps out the offering plate. Because that became the focus. Rather than the focus being, yes, I blessed you to be a center point of my glory. So you could share my glory to the world, not so you can hoard it for yourself. So Jesus comes in and he ransacks the temple. He knocks everything over. He kicks everybody out. You don't belong here. You have abused my temple, the holy temple. That's, what he, that's exactly what he's saying. So, we've got counterculture here. Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah. He's going to deliver everybody from Rome's power, right? So then you get the Sadducees and Pharisees. Oh, man, they're ticked. They are so angry with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus didn't care. Their comfort wasn't his worry. He's about to die on the cross. 
he's teaching his disciples the reality of the gospel, the reality of God. This wasn't the point in my study, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to share this. Chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus curses a fig tree. It didn't have any fruit on it, so he cursed it. He said, there won't be any more fruit growing on you, so it withered and died. The disciples were amazed. Again, the context. Jesus has been healing people. He's been telling the Sadducees and Pharisees, pretty much, you don't have any part of the kingdom. Let me go back and read the verses. I don't have time to do it today. He tells the Sadducees and Pharisees, the perfect people of the Jewish community, who are the teachers, the preachers, the religious leaders, right? He looks at them and says in three parables, you have no part of me or the kingdom. You don't even belong. Read it. It's there. It's an indictment on everything that they think they know. On that Wednesday, Jesus is coming back from uh, Bethany. He's with uh, Martha and Mary, Lazarus. Lazarus, right? he, he, he raised him up from the dead, right? So he's having dinner with them, hanging out, sleeping, resting. On his way back in, that's when he curses the fig tree. The disciples saw it. They were amazed. They marveled, some versions say. Whoa! So not only does he have words of life, he can perform miracles on humans, make a guy who's blind see, help a guy that has been lame since birth walk. He's coming in to be this, what, what some people thought was to be this dynamic leader. He's going to raise up a rebellion out of all of us and we're going to storm the castle. Jesus takes the time to tell his disciples, you think that's cool. I'm paraphrasing. You think that's cool. Guess what? You're going to do the same thing and more. Maybe that's the point. Maybe we're looking for the wrong things. Maybe we expect the wrong things. It's a simple tree. And a bunch of guys who left everything. They dropped their nets. They dropped their businesses. Go back and read the scripture. They left their families to follow a man who most people thought was crazy. And he takes the time to teach his disciples you are going to perform miracles like me and more more why are we sitting around amazed at what God's doing or what Jesus is doing in the Muslim community rescuing people out of human trafficking 
reuniting black people with white people in America. Why are we amazed that it's happening? That's the point of the gospel. This is not, I'm not poking at you, I'm poking at almost every church we've been in. There are many churches that have many good works. They do many good things. But it's like 2% of the church or 5% of the church that's doing anything. The rest of us sit around going, whoa, man, that's cool. You have the same Jesus living in you. You have the same relationship with Jesus that I do. Just because we're missionaries to Thailand, Philippines, or whatever, doesn't mean a hill of beans. Maybe the difference between you and I is that I'm just more vocal about it. I don't care what people think about me. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not an orator. I know that. I have to write my stuff down before I can ever speak it. Ask my wife. He takes time. He takes the time to say, you're going to do this and much more. I mean, he's in the middle of a war. Just think about it. Jesus is in the middle of a war. Spiritual warfare is happening. You've got people all around him. They're, they're, they're plotting to kill him. They want to murder him. They want to get him out of the way because he's disrupted everything that they've set up. Everything. Man, he's messing it all up. Get the context. Get the context. He shares these three parables. He calls out the Sadducees and Pharisees. Man, they're angry. So then they said, you know what we're going to do? Everybody likes him. We've got to figure out some way to, to trick him politically, to trick him socially, and to trick him spiritually. If you want to know what those are, you really need to go back and read it. It's really important. They tried to get Rome on him to come take him because Rome took away their authority to be able to kill their, their prisoners, in, their spiritual prisoners, I guess. So the last question is this. A young, in Mark 12, also talks about this uh, part of Scripture. Now let's pick up in chapter 22, 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, when he answered their question, it was so wise and so right it wasn't like kind of right. It was 100% right out of the Bible. Words that Moses wrote right. This is, that's important. Every, every, every reply that Jesus had was spot on. They couldn't defend it. They couldn't argue against it. They had nothing to say. They were silenced. So the Pharisees... They gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, this is really important. He was a
was the guy that wrote the Bible. Like he, he copied the scripture. He was a scribe. Word for word. And if you understand how they wrote words, if they wrote the word God or Yahweh, they would throw that pen away and never use it again. This is a guy that had that much reverence, that much respect, that much awe about the word of God. This guy asked Jesus a question. This is important as well. Tempting him, tempting Jesus, trying to test him or question his authority. Master, they use that word, rabbi, kind of like a, uh, not, not a respect as in, um, I respect your position. It was, it was placating. They were trying to jab at Jesus. You got to remember, he's this podunk guy from Nazareth, doesn't know anything, no education, no whatever. How, how does he know these things? So they use the term master, rabbi. Which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? And you have to understand, again, the context is really important. The word great command, or what's the great one? It's like the ultimate one. What is the most important thing? Context here. 613 laws that the Jewish people came up with that they all had to obey. Some were really, really important, and some were kind of, you know, if you want to, it's fine, but whatever. Some were really heavy, and some were just kind of, you could just choose, whatever. 613. That's the context of the question. All right, Jesus, you think you're so smart. What's the, big, what's the most important command that we need to obey? What is it? Jesus' response here. This, this is the response. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Verse 39. And the second one's like it. He didn't even ask about a second one. He said, what's the one? Picture the Ten Commandments for a minute for me, okay? On one side, we have the ones that revere God. The other side, we have ones that revere humans, mankind. Think about it. Love your neighbor as thyself. What? Go back in Mark 12. The scribe says, Whoa. You're not just kind of right. You're 100% right. There's no other question. There's no other answer to that question. None. I've got many other verses here that I could share. Here's the reality of the point that we're at. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all that you are, everything about you. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind. These are pretty imperative words. It's like your whole being 
your whole being. Everything that you are, your emotions, your intellect, your strength to be able to do something. There's businessmen in the room, right? They're businessmen or former businessmen, you kind of retired. In order to build a business, it takes everything, right? It takes a lot of sacrifice, takes a lot of passion, takes a lot of devotion, right? Okay. That's kind of what he's talking about here. God knows that we do not have the capacity minus him to love him. We do not have the capacity or even the desire. Exodus 20 talks about we are haters of God. The words that God wrote, we hate God. Minus Jesus, we hate God. And we forget that that's our foundation. That's our nature. That's my natural bent. Someone offends me, what's my first thing? Oh, bless his heart. No. I get angry. And I want to say some stuff. What does that mean? That means that the greatest commandment is to love your Lord God with all that you are. Everything. Let's fast forward to you. Just because the Bible says this is the greatest commandment, do you do it? Do I do it? That's the problem. We don't want to do it. We don't want to love God with everything we are. We want to love ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. Remember that wedge that I was talking about? That Jesus was driving? We recently moved into a house and we have a big fireplace, which is good because our heating and air doesn't actually work all the time. And so it puts out a lot of heat. Well, I have to go cut wood. And I'm a little guy, and I don't have a big machine to do it, so I have to do it with these arms. I feel like Paul Bunyan out there, getting nothing done, really. So I thinking I'm a really smart person, I'm going to figure out how to do this better. How do you chop wood better? I don't know. So this is what I do. I go to Lowe's, and I get this big metal thing that's like this. It's called the grenade. I spent two extra dollars because it's called the grenade. It's important. Because I take that grenade, and I stick it in a piece of wood, and then I get a sledgehammer. And I take that sledgehammer, and I... It's a wedge. It takes this wood that I am not going to be able to cut, to split, and it drives it apart.
This is what Jesus is doing. And, it, and it's subtle and it's sweet and it's loving. Nowhere in this do you need to think that he is angry at the person of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's about to go die for them. He's about to die for them. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need God. I need His love. All you need is love, right? All I need is God. I need God to fill me with His divine love. That way, one, I can love Him. And two, I can love my neighbor. And some may say, well, who's your neighbor? Maybe this is in context, maybe it's not. But if Jesus is telling me that I need to love God and I need to love my neighbor as myself, God, neighbor, me. There's three identifiers here. Every person on earth other than me is my neighbor. So I am supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love my, my atheist, Democrat neighbor who has some weird thinking about everything. And I am supposed to love him, not correct him. The Holy Spirit would do that. I'm supposed to love him like I love myself. drive a little deeper. I'm supposed to go to Thailand and I'm supposed to walk down a street where 27,000 women, men, boys, and girls are sold for human pleasure. And that's not just the people that, that's just the people who are sold for sex. That doesn't include the 100,000 or so people surrounded there to support that system of sales. I want to paint a picture for a second. Walking Street, Pattaya, Thailand. There's some military guys in here. You probably know what I'm talking about. Walk down the street, half a mile long. 27,000. 27,000. That's like a small city. People being sold. And then there is police. Police helping to protect everything. The sale of alcohol, the sale of children, the sale of women. If you get out of line, yeah, you're going to go to immigration uh, jail, but it's, you pay a fine really cheap and you get out. Motorcycle after motorcycle after motorcycle after motorcycle lined up in the alleys. They're taxis. So a dude comes in, I want, and there are no names, by the way. I had a name tag on, they're not numbers. Number three, I want number three. They get on a motorcycle, they go to the motel. Food vendors. 
There's many times that we're sitting there, we're just ministering to the girls. Our team's doing outreach. And you'll watch girls come out. They will put like a robe on or something, come out in the street in their big heels with very little anything on underneath. And they'll come out and they'll buy stir-fried rice and a water. And they'll go back in. And your heart just breaks. Let me just be the person selling the rice. Let me do something different. Let me be the one to say, you know what? You don't have to do that. You don't have to go back in there. There have been many times we have bought girls' nights so they wouldn't have to go back in. There's been many times our ministry has bought girls, 14, 14, from a dad who was trying to sell, sorry, dowry his daughter in marriage. It's not right. But I'm supposed to love that girl. I'm also supposed to love the person who owns the brothel. I'm supposed to love the guy in Madison, Tennessee, when I knock on the door, on this door, and if you understand what we do on a daily basis, the guy comes out this door because he doesn't want us to interrupt his girl. He needs to protect his investment. He doesn't need us to interrupt anything that she's doing in that room. He needs to control the situation. I know he's a pimp. He's a trafficker. True story. I'm 5'8". 200 pounds at, at best. My wife says 208, but I'm saying 200. That's my, my even number. I can't even get my hand up high enough. Black guy. Big dude. About 350 pounds. Dreads. I know he's got a gun. I got our team over here doing ministry, serving food to one of the girls. I knocked on the door where his girl was. By the way, her name's Paula. Someone we've been trying to minister to for the last three years. He walks out. I haven't seen him but one time a year ago. He's like, can I help you? I'm like, yeah. Would you like some food? Sure. What is it? I don't know what we had. Barbecue or something. By the way, Pastor makes me mean barbecue. Can I pray for you? Yeah. My mom's sick. Your mom's sick? Yeah. She's got cancer. What are you doing here? Uh, some canned stories. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God says, confront him. I'm like, oh, Lord, no. No. No, confront him. So I wave our team off. because I don't want, if I'm going to be in danger, I don't want anybody else to be in line of fire. I look up at Goliath and say, I know what you're doing here. You're selling girls, aren't you? No, no, no. Oh, you're a pimp, aren't you? 
I know what you're doing. You don't belong here. You need to stop selling these girls. You need to leave. Oh, by the way, here's my card, the community outreach card. I never give out our Rescue One ministry card. Here's my card. You're going to need me. You're enslaved to something you can't get out of, and you're going to need me. You need to call me. That guy deserves justice. He needs to be punished to the hilt. But so do I. Or so did I. So here's here's the, the title of the message. The Great Commandment, You and the Great Commission. We're talking about missions, right? The great commandment of God drives, drives, let me me say it a different way. The great commandment, obedience, obedience drives the great commission fulfillment. You're never going to fulfill the Great Commission until you're willing to get your knees down in the mud with people. Until they actually see Jesus, not just hear words coming out your mouth. My mouth. When they actually see a Jesus who doesn't think himself more highly than you, and you're willing to sacrifice everything that Jesus has given you, everything that Jesus has given you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means that I have to love God. have to love God is it good enough to believe I believe in God what's James 2 say James 2 19 I think the devil the demons they believe in God they do there are people that sit in our pews there are people who go out on our street there are people who do missions in the name in the name of Jesus who just believe. If you actually understand the scripture here, Jesus does not say anything about belief. Nothing. He says love. Love me. If you love me, it will drive you to love them. Always. Here's the point, I think. I was really conflicted driving down here about sharing. There was so much going on in my head. There's a bunch of stuff in my notes I never even touched. That wasn't for you, that was for me. That was for me. 
the process of getting ready to share a message or to speak to people, it's like 80% more for the person who gets up here and does it. There's a lot in my heart that God revealed. I love me. My wife and I, we've been married 21 years soon. Or was already 21? My bad. We're already married 21. There you go. We had a fight before we left Nashville to come down here. I don't even know what we're fighting about. I was studying this stuff, and I'm, oh, yeah, I got, I'm putting these things in my brain, figuring out how I'm going to share the message. Talk to Brother Dale on the phone before we came down. Boom. This is what I think God wants me to share. We had a fight. Had a fight on the way down here. I never asked for forgiveness. It was totally my fault. Had a fight with my wife. Get in the car. Drive down here. Gotta get this stuff. Oh. Not gonna say anything. What do I hear? Jesus says, "You're not loving her. You're not loving me. You're just loving you. Just you." I'm just going to touch on this, and I, I, I don't know if the Lord can say this or not, but it was for me. The same love that Jesus is talking about here, that everything that I am loved, Ephesians talks about as well, I'm supposed to love my wife. Boom! Hit that grenade. Watch that split my thinking. The same love that Jesus says, and I'm supposed to everything, everything, everything. Everything I am, all that I am, I'm to love God. Ashley, you want to come on up? I'm to love God. And I don't. I choose me. I choose dollars. I choose comfort. Sometimes I choose coffee. That's important because the things that we choose, we could actually support missionaries more often if we just deny a little more. So on the way down here, I had to say, honey, I chose me and not Jesus and not you. Please forgive me. And there are times when our missionaries, our teams, whether Thailand, the Philippines, or Nashville, we have to look at people and say, I don't want you to come out here just so you can enjoy this time. You gotta lay everything down. You have to love. You can't love your neighbor. Just think about it. If we actually loved our neighbor like we love God or like he loves us, we wouldn't need laws. I would not need a law to say, don't steal from me, don't kill from me, don't commit adultery. Because if I was actually loving God, like the scripture's talking about here, then I would love my neighbor like God loves me. 
and laid himself down for me. He died the worst death imaginable for me. Just because he loves purely. He loves wholly. He loves unconditionally. And all He wants for mankind is for us to love Him the way He loves us. Let's stand. We're going to do a hymn of invitation. Uh, maybe you're here and you've not experienced His love. And you'd like to know how to do that. We can show you from the Bible. Or maybe you're here and you really you need to uh, maybe you need to rededicate your love to him. Whatever that need is, come and we'll help you with it now. I can hear my Savior calling. I can Thank you.